So this morning I want to talk to you about the H word. The H word. You know what it is. It makes us uncomfortable. We fear it. We don't want to think about it. At all costs, we definitely want to avoid it. The H word. Humility. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Humility. It's so hard. It's so tough. But it is a virtue lived most perfectly by a man, the holy man I want to talk to you about this morning, Blessed Father Solanus Casey. What is humility? What is humility? And asking this question myself, I, I wanted to go to you know a trusted source, so I went to Brother Webster. And uh, Brother Webster, he defines humility as freedom from pride or arrogance. The quality or state of being humble. And as soon as I read that, I was like, well, I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> freedom from pride or arrogance, the quality or state of being humble. And blessed Solanus Casey, he was born into humble surroundings. He was one of 16 in a family of Irish immigrant parents whose faith was paramount in their life. They grew up in rural uh, Wisconsin on a farm. I can't imagine 16 children running around on a farm. I've I've worked on farms before. It's a dangerous dangerous occupation. Um, Even in my my own graduate work, we were were trying to solve an issue. Uh, These farmers uh, were were dying, family members, by the day. Uh, It was a very serious situation. These farmers would would enter into what would be called a confined space. And the gas... Uh, you know, that was released in those confined spaces because of the manure and everything would, would suffocate them and would take their lives. And, and when I started my research, there was one family, I think it was in Indiana, that lost 12 members in one day. So it, it can be a very startling thing to think about 16 children running around on a farm, you know, um, very humble surroundings, working to bring sufficient providence for themselves and for those around them. And I identify with that. I do. In my experience in, in farm life, my, my family came from Italy. Both sides of my family came from the same village. My, my dad jokes that uh, he and my mom are cousins. <laughs> that might help explain a lot. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my, my grandfather was a mushroom farmer. And, and then um, on my dad's side, they just had a, a simple uh, self-sufficient farm. It was a neat way to grow up. It was a neat way uh, to see how God provides through these ordinary means. And as Solanus Casey, as he, as he grew up, you know, he experienced typical human emotions. He fell in love. I think he was only 17 when, when he first wanted to propose to this young woman. Her name was Rebecca. And, or he was 18, I think, and Rebecca was only 17. I think that's the story. And... Rebecca's mother wasn't too fond of the idea of her daughter being engaged at 17, so 
she sent her to a boarding school 40 miles away from their <laughs> little town in Wisconsin. And that kind of <laughs> put a damper on uh, Solanus's, you know, hopes of, of being engaged to her. So they kind of ended that relationship. And as you know, my story, <laughs> I was engaged and God called me out of that to something greater for me. Uh, and he gave me the grace to live it. And like me, Father Solanus had this idea of the priesthood when he was a young boy. He was only seven years old. And he heard these words, uh, to be a priest, um, to, to really shepherd a flock. And maybe it came from his farming background, but he, he wanted to be a shepherd. He wanted to be a priest. And he would eventually have two of his brothers become priests as well. When Father, or Father Solanus, Blessed Solanus Casey, when he entered seminary, he was a little bit older, uh, because he kind of wanted to do his own thing for a while. I understand what that's like, all right? <laughs> when he entered seminary, he was seven years older than his classmates. I'm going to be more than twice the age of my classmates <laughs> when I get to school in the fall. That's okay. That's all right. Um, and he excelled. He excelled in his coursework at first. And for some reason, I don't know if the grace was removed or, or what happened, but he started to slip in his grades, especially in Latin and in Catholic dogma. And because he started to slip in his grades, the dean and the rector approached him and they said, uh, listen, we don't think you have a vocation to the priesthood. Maybe you should look into religious life like the Capuchins. <laughs> I can see the Capuchin vocation model. Come join the Capuchins. We'll take the leftovers. You know? <laughs> But when he went to the Capuchins, at first, he was a little bit disappointed in what he saw. Maybe the better word is he was kind of terrified by what he saw. Because he saw these, these German men, he was Irish, he saw these German men, and they were kind of threatening to him. And they had these huge beards, and they were very austere, and they lived this intense life of poverty. And Father Stellanus did not want to grow a beard. He struggled with German. He struggled with langu languages in general. I mean, that's why he, he, he failed in Latin. But then he had a moment of grace, and he, and he had this distinct invitation to join the Capuchins because he had a love of St. Francis. And he saw this authenticity of life in the Capuchins who lived their uh, Franciscan vocation very sincerely, very genuinely. And so he entered as a, as a postulant, you know, and he's asking the questions, is this the right life for me? And he felt in his heart that it was. And he felt even more so that he was called to be a priest. So he wanted to be a Capuchin priest. And at that time, if you wanted to be received into the community, um, or if you wanted to make your vows in, in the community, you had to write a letter of attestation saying, these are my intentions. And this is what Father Solanus Casey wrote. I, Brother Solanus Casey, declare that I join the Order of Capuchins in the province of St. Joseph with the pure intention to follow thus my religious vocation. Although I would wish and should be thankful being admitted to the ordination of a priest, considering the lack of my talents, I leave it to my superiors to judge on my faculties and to dispose of me 
as they think best. I therefore will lay no claim whatsoever if they should, if they should think me not worthy or not able for the priesthood, and I always will humbly submit to their appointments. So even at an early age, even in the early stages of his vocation, you see this supernatural grace of humility. It's not false humility. False humility is imbued with pride. Oh, woe is me. Pity me. No, this is, I understand my nothingness. That without God, I am nothing. I understand my lack of talents, but I leave it to my superiors to exercise the will of God in my life. This humble surrender. We've heard that word this weekend, surrender. And it takes humility to be able to surrender. It's not easy. He was finally ordained a priest some years later. But because of his poor grades, he was a simplex priest. And a simplex priest is one who can celebrate Mass, but he cannot hear confessions and he cannot preach. So here's a man who all his life, most of his life, wanted to be a priest. And when he's finally ordained, okay, celebrating the Mass, it's, it's beautiful, it's powerful. That at his hands, our Lord becomes incarnate. The bread and wine take the form of flesh and blood. That's a miracle. It's quite a gift, and he understood that. But to preach the love of God and to hear confessions of probably great desires in his heart. But he did not have the faculties to do so. So his preaching and his confession, his confessional, took place in the porter's office. Where he would sit by the door and he would answer the door. And people soon came to know of his holiness, of his simplicity, of his availability to them to hear any and all of their woes, to be present to them in every moment. Many miracles were attributed to him just through the day-to-day, listening, encouraging, supporting. And he was tough on them sometimes. A quote I want to share with you where he talks about when people come and they're seeking a certain grace and they're seeking a certain miracle, whatever it might be, they have to show that they're serious about it. You know, they have to understand that God does want to bless them, but it's in his providence and it is in his time. But you have to show that you're serious about this thing that you're asking for. And he would say, I find it always practical, especially in cases where all human scientific help is despaired of to just turn to the divine offer of all good, always solicitous to be asked for favors, and with all the confidence we can muster to promise something that we are assured is pleasing to him if we might only be spared or be granted the certain favor. And he would continue, we should thank God frequently, not only for the blessings of the past and present, But thank him ahead of time for whatever he foresees is pleasing to him that we suffer. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. 
And how do we foster this spirit of humility? How do we get there? I think a good place to start is, is simple gratitude. Lord, thank you. Thank you that I don't have these certain gifts. Thank you that these other people have these gifts. That they, they help fill where I lack. Thank you, Lord, that you are ever-present in my life. Thank you, Lord, that without you I am nothing. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have it all figured out yet because it shows I need your help. It's an act of surrender to be able to say thank you, to be able to be humble, to realize our nothingness without God. It is a virtue. It's a virtue from which all other virtues flow. As Father Solanus would say, we may be sure that we come nowhere in the practice of virtue or in spiritual progress without patiently humbling ourselves in the face of the difficulties to check our self-conceit and pride. If the dear Lord has deigned to invite you to more than ordinary virtue, and if on your part you have, perhaps again and again, seen something of the privilege of such an invitation, finally consenting, even half generously, to follow the crucified spouse, then you may, quite naturally, rather logically, expect difficulties of some kind or of any kind to exercise you in the virtues that put the enemies of the cross to shame and make heaven rejoice. Such virtues are, of course, first of all, humility, from which all other virtues worthwhile in God's sight take root and nourishment. At all events and whatever comes, turn frequently to our dear Lord in the tabernacle and next to him, to our blessed Mother Mary, begging for the grace to correspond to the graces that he is always lavishing on our unworthy selves and for patience and humility. If we recognize our nothingness, if we recognize humbly, that without God, we can do nothing. It allows God to take our ordinary efforts and make them extraordinary. And if you look at the founder of Franciscan life, St. Francis, that's how God approached him. He said, Francis, rebuild my church, which, as you can see, is falling into ruin. And Francis, being the simple man that he was, he thought he had to rebuild the church structurally. So he started gathering stones and mortar and everything. He started to rebuild the church. But then he would realize that God wanted, to him, God wanted him to rebuild the church spiritually, to breathe new life into the church, to bring renewal into the church, to find again the heart of our Lord who bleeds day in and day out for his beloved. God took his ordinary efforts and made them extraordinary. And for each one of us, that's what he wants to do. He wants to take our ordinary efforts and make them extraordinary. We need to have patience with ourselves. Humility doesn't come with a snap. Surrendering doesn't come with a snap. Practicing the presence of God in everything, every little detail of our lives does not come in a snap. It takes practice. Be patient with yourselves. The grace will come. The grace will come. 
If we remain on our knees long enough, God shows up. But really, in fact, he's already there. To share a story, uh, two years of my religious life, I had the privilege, really the honor, of being Father Benedict's caretaker. And you could see the little ways that, that Father Benedict would mimic Father Solanus Casey. Because when Father Benedict was a novice uh, in Huntington, Indiana, that's where uh, Blessed Solanus Casey was stationed uh, towards the end of his life. And there's one such story where um, they, they uh, harvested honey there, so they had their beehives and everything. And, and uh, there's one day where the bees were swarming. And Father Benedict said it looked like a mess, <laughs> this mess cloud of blackness like all around this tree. And he was frightened to death. <laughs> and um, the superiors went and got Father Solanus, because Father Solanus would also always come out and he would play his harmonica and the bees would just kind of be at peace. <laughs> so in this huge swarm, uh, Father Solanus came and he said that there must be two queens and we need to find the extra queen and remove her. And Father Benedict said, I was so frightened I couldn't even find the Queen Mary. <laughs> so here comes Father Sl- and And, you know, the novices, Father Benedict included, are all decked out in, in the riot gear that you need to have on when you go to the hives, you know, all the, the helmets, the, the clothing, the protective clothing, everything. Father Solanus comes down in his habit, <laughs> you know. He opens up the hive, and he's rummaging around, and he finds this huge queen. He folds her up in his little hanky, puts him in his pocket, and walks away. Unstung, unscathed, right? It says a lot about his humility. Another way to think of humility is this emptying of self. Emptying of self so that God can fill us. Solanus Casey was so empty of himself that God filled him with his presence so much that he had this relationship with God's creation, just like St. Francis did. St. Francis taming the wolf of Gubbio, speaking to the birds. He had this relationship with God's creation where he was one with it, unscathed, unsung by these bees, just going in simplicity, Lord, I trust in you. I trust that you're going to take care of the situation. I trust that you will be present here. That you will make your glory revealed through my simple efforts. Take my ordinary efforts and make them extraordinary. Teach me humility. Teach me humbleness of heart. I'd like to end with probably my favorite quote of all the quotes of St. Francis. Because it draws us to the source of humility. Our Lord Jesus Christ present in the Holy Eucharist. God who humbled himself that he took on the form of bread. A very simple substance. Yet given in abundance and given out of love. Satisfying our every desire. Satisfying our every need. May we learn from our Lord Jesus Christ how to be humble how to give of ourselves, how to empty ourselves so that he may fill us. And St. Francis goes on to say, 
Let everyone be struck with fear. Let the whole world tremble and the heavens exalt when Christ, the Son of the living God, is present on the altar in the hands of a priest. O wonderful loftiness and stupendous dignity. O sublime humility, O humble sublimity. That the Lord of the universe, God and the Son of God, so humbles himself that for our salvation, he hides himself under an ordinary piece of bread. Brothers, look at the humility of God and pour out your hearts before him. Humble yourselves that you may be exalted by him. Hold back nothing of yourselves for yourselves, that he who gives himself totally to you may receive you totally. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Blessed Solanus Casey, pray for us.